Okay, let's turn to John Gospel, John chapter 6, briefly look at it. John 6, 1 through 20, Jesus feeds 5,000. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There is a young boy here with five barley loaves two fish, and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then men alone, alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all sat as much as they want, they, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, Surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Jesus walks on water. Then that evening, Jesus' Jesus's disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake toward Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They were terrified, but he called out to them, do not be afraid, I am here. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Someone else, 21 to 40, please. Then they were eager to let him in the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw that their disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across the Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, 
not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, We want to perform God's work too. What should we do? Jesus told them, This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that, that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who seek his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Very involved teaching from the Lord Jesus. One event after the other in profound truths that he's communicating. Let's continue to read someone else, 41 through 70. Praise the Lord. John chapter 6, verse 41. Then the people began to mumble in disagreement because he has said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God, have seen him. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. 
anyone who eats the bread from heaven however will never die i am the living bread that came down from heaven anyone who eats this bread will live forever and this bread which i will offer so the world may live is my flesh then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant how can this man give us his flesh to eat they asked so jesus said again i tell you the truth unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood you cannot have eternal life within you but anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise that person at the last day for my flesh is true food uh, and my blood is true drink anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and i in him i live because of the living father who sent me in the same way anyone who feeds on me will live because of me i am the true bread that came down from heaven anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did even though they ate the manna but will never will live forever he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in capernaum many of his disciples said this is very hard to understand how can anyone accept it jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining so he said to them does this offend you then what will you think if you see the son of man ascend to heaven again the spirit alone gives eternal life human effort accomplishes nothing and the very words i have spoken to you are spirit and life but some of you do not believe me for jesus knew for the from the beginning which ones did not believe and he knew who would betray him then he said that is why i said that people can't come to me unless the father gives them to me at this point many of his disciples turned away and deserted him then jesus turned to the 12 and asked are you also going to leave sign replied to whom would we go you have the words that give eternal life we believe we know you are the holy one of god then jesus said i chose the 12 of you but one is a devil he was speaking of judas son of simon iscariot one of the 12 who would later betray him praise god praise god praise god for his word very long chapter but full of truth and many things that jesus repeats such as i am that bread if anyone eats of the bread from heaven that person will live forever they'll never be hungry if anyone eats this flesh they will live my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink i've never heard any religious teacher any religious leader in any religion speak words like these if you've studied religion in the university or you've done your own readings you've explored different philosophies where else can we ever find something so direct explained so patiently and elaborately and then given the key to the understanding which is that it's spiritual words he's not speaking about eating his body literally physical flesh 
but he's speaking of a spiritual, literal partaking of his being. And his body and blood were offered as a sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. It's reminiscent of John chapter 4, where the Lord said very similar things to the woman at Samaria. He said, whoever drinks this water, the water that's there in that well, will soon become thirsty again. John 4 and verse 13. But those who drink the water I give, verse 14, will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And similar to the people who said, give us this bread. If this bread is going to give us life. So the woman by the well in Samaria says, please, sir, give me that water then. I'll be never thirsty. I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. He's speaking again, spiritual things. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. We don't mix the two. God is speaking about eternal life. Many people followed him on foot. They admired him. Similar to many people who wear crosses around their necks or they have it in their cars or in their houses. But which woman, young or old, which man, young or old, which child, sincerely comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I have stains all over me. I'm utterly unclean. I can't come near you, Lord. I see the man on the cross who gave his blood for me, his life for me, his very life poured out everything from within that body. And I see myself, we see ourselves absolutely undeserving of it. And yet the Lord says, come near. He invites the woman by the well. He invites all these people, this multitude who came looking for him. They knew something happened because there was only one boat at first and the disciples took that boat across the sea. And they knew Jesus did not go with them. How did he get on the other side? Rabbi or Rebbe? How did you get there? What's important to note is understanding or perceiving at the surface level, God is doing something here. Something's happening here that's beyond me. He's doing something. God is performing an operation divine operation. But who would stop to consider what does this mean? Why did he do this? Is God trying to get my attention? Through my circumstances, whether a trial with darkness and pain, a waiting period where it seems to be forever, or through an experience where I've seen or witnessed a miracle, experienced a miracle. God is communicating all the time to get our attention, to draw us deeper, 
to himself. But if we look at the phenomena of these miracles and focus on the miracles for themselves and forget that they point to God who wants a relationship with us that is inseparable forever. A relationship in which we can drink of the living water and it'll actually produce a well within us that will never run dry. In other words, just the way that Jesus said, the Father has set his seal upon me, God wants to seal his work. What is a seal used for? Is to protect, is to authorize, is to keep safe. It's to give a sense of permanency. Many people come to the cross, they may look at it, they may cry, and soon enough they're able to wipe those tears and go their way. God is looking for those who stay. Who'll say, you have the words of eternal life. Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? I've been places, I've done things, I've experienced things. Maybe a lifetime full of it. And I see, nothing matters. Even the good memories seem to be so superficial after all in the light of eternity. How will my experiences here affect my eternal state? The person who's spiritually minded, the person who understands what the Lord is speaking, will always relate everything in his or her life to eternity. Because we are made in the image of God to live forever with him. God reconciles us. Why do you suppose he did that miracle where he walked on the water? God was confirming over and over again. As is written in the Gospel of John in the earlier chapter. He that has the Son has life. And he that doesn't have the Son doesn't have life. How do you get to have the Son? What does it mean to have the Son? It means to have His Lordship, as we heard the prayer, His management in more than the management, His supreme authority, absolute authority, because He's absolutely loving, good, just, Faithful. We heard another prayer. We can come to God with our weaknesses, not be ashamed. The disciples themselves, the close disciples, not the multitudes that came for a season and then went away, but among the twelve, and even the one of the twelve became a devil. He practiced sin, a little thievery here, a little getting personal gain. And it stuck to him like leprosy. And he ended up going to hell. But even among the eleven, they had doubts and fears and weaknesses. What was the Lord doing? Gently, patiently. There's no one more loving than the Lord Jesus. If you ever read leadership studies and management and qualities and characteristics of successful managers, when you look through the scholarship in the past, 30 to 50 years, you'll see a trajectory leading to, you know what, the Bible, to understand what does ethical and authentic leadership mean. What does it mean 
to have someone who cares about the person more than the project. Certainly the Lord Jesus exemplified true love. And love bears patiently with the idiosyncrasies, with the problems, the difficulties, the weaknesses. And it's hard to give ourselves an A-plus rating when we know our weaknesses. It's better to be truthful. And when we look at John chapter 6, we see that when the Lord gave the truth that the work that you want to do, you want to do the works of God, he said the only thing God wants you to do, the only work is to believe in the one he sent And then he went further to explain what believing means. People speak of believing in themselves, believing in other human beings, believing in this system or that system or that gadget or this process. But belief in God entails something totally different. It transcends what we understand as basic belief in things and people. It implies absolute surrender to the truth that God reveals. First and foremost, that I'm far away from God. I'm an alien to his presence because of my sins. And I come humbly, not superficially, but for a thorough confession. And then God grants me pardon. The people said, what must we do? He said, believe. Implying obey. They said, this is hard. How can this man give his flesh to eat? What is he talking about? Then after the Lord Jesus spoke some more, they said again, who can accept this saying? Anytime we come to a difficulty in our own perception or understanding of the word of God or something the spirit of God is communicating to us, it just doesn't make sense in the natural. It's even offensive. But that's because we're no good. And God is good. The only way the two will ever meet is at the cross. When we as creatures who are incapable of understanding, and even at our best state, best days, still fall short of the glory of God. Because of our human weakness, If we come near him, the woman at the well, she listened and she probed further and then she went and got other people. She didn't leave him. This crowd here, as soon as they heard something that was beyond them, they should have done what the woman did and the disciples did, the close disciples. Probe a little further, come closer. Anytime God speaks to his people, to his disciples, It's because he wants to draw us in closer so he can clarify the things that would do our souls good. That's how you get the seal upon you. Like Mary who sat at the feet of the Lord Jesus when her sister was busy preparing dinner for the Lord Jesus. It was the wrong thing to do at that time. 
to have God's seal upon us, to have this permanent connection with God, goes beyond religion and rituals. It's a matter of total surrender, acknowledging God, you are God and I'm not. People get all worked up over political debates and taking sides. It could be sports teams and products. It may be all kinds of things. What does it matter in the final analysis? Why spend all that energy and time on things that ultimately don't matter? When God directs, there's a place to talk about those things. But the main thing must be the main thing, which is a connection with God, which only comes through relationship, through the blood of Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. Period. How do you get that blood to wash you? By saying, Lord, I don't know if I ever come, have come to you and poured out in your presence everything I've ever done wrong that I can remember. Why not? Someone says, oh, that'll take a long time. And plus, who can remember everything they've done wrong? Well, God only asks us to do what we can. But far too many people gloss over that and come with generic flatteries that they call prayer. God, I know you love me and I love you and God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me for all my sins. And I'm all messed up, God. But thank you for this new day and for the sunshine. And uh, be with me, God, and bless my family, my puppies. Bless my furniture, my vehicle. And whatever ritual I need to do, Lord, to get the ball rolling, the show continuing. So I can look good. It's about image. Image flattery to myself, before people, before God. It's very dangerous. It's so grieving and tragic. When God said, come to me, I will give you drink that will become a well in you that will never run dry. It will spring up bubbling to eternal life. What is that? He said you can have it, but the question is, do we have it? It comes through humble, thorough repentance and confession. Thorough confession and repentance. Not to some man, but to God himself. Because Jesus came down to be the mediator between God and man. There's no other person. There's no one God will accept. In the Old Testament, only the high priest can go into that Holy of Holies once a year on behalf of himself and the people. God will not accept anyone else. In fact, anyone else who would even venture to come into the part of the sanctuary or the tabernacle be killed. How can anyone say there's another way? How can any person who says, I believe in Christ, think that they can come in any other way to God except by humbly saying, Lord, forgive me of the times I lied. Maybe today. Maybe I gave a false impression to someone. Maybe, Lord, I thought something proud. And Lord, have you ever had those cases in your imagination?
imagination in your heart, you know you've done a couple of things wrong in the sight of God. It wasn't right. And you wanted to make things right, so you cried out to God. Lord, I did something wrong, Lord. It's not right. Forgive me for my rebellion. To understand the depth of it and to get it out of the way. Through the blood. To be reconciled to God. And what happened to that Samaritan woman? What happened to the 11 apostles and then the 12 that was added after Judas left it and perished? Forfeited it. What happened to the people who became success stories? Oh, they suffered. Success in the Christian life involves and includes suffering for the sake of Christ. More than just common suffering experienced by humanity. When we're living righteous and we're persecuted for it. When we're speaking the truth and we're scorned ridiculed, cast out. Just doing God's will to praise Him and to live for Him and love people by telling them the truth. When we're ostracized and shunned from people, suffering is there. The glory is there and success is there. These people that stayed and went closer to God and said, Lord, I don't understand this. Please help me to understand. The Lord's arms are wide open. He's such a good, loving father. We heard in the prayer, what a privilege to call him Abba. In the Tamil language, it's Appa. I believe in the Korean language also, it's the same thing. Appa, Amma. For parents. But that the nearness that the Holy God who is awesome in power Full of glory. Nobody can look at him and live. Until we're transformed one day. He's so full of majesty. But God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And the father-son relationship that the first and second persons of the Godhead enjoyed. Was made public. Revealed to us. Particularly in John chapter 17. To draw us into that relationship. Hallelujah. Not just for a record for us to analyze and wonder about. The purpose of God's declaration and revelation is always to draw us into his love. To experience miracles. To understand and comprehend what did God just do here? Why did this happen? He's almighty. We spoke this morning as we looked at the life of Jethro, Moses' father-in-law. God was all over that man's life in this period of his life. As he came to hear about God, experience his miracles through the word. And then he was directed step by step to come to meet his son-in-law, to have fellowship with him, to offer sacrifices. And then Jethro became the mouthpiece of God to Moses, the man of God. This man who is a former priest of Midian became a believer in the living God. How did he get to be used of God? He drew near. And inasmuch as Jethro told Moses, choose men to delegate the authority to deal with the small matters. You have a couple of million people, you take their hard matters, 
Otherwise, you'll tire yourself out in the people. We saw the qualification. Not just anybody can do it. God doesn't want bright ideas to try to get things done for the sake of getting them done or relieving someone. God says, I'd rather suffer and do it right to take the easy road out. Well, the qualifications for the men were men who feared the Lord. Exodus chapter 18. Men who were true. They had truth in their hearts. And men who hated bribery, covetousness. The only way I can draw near to Jesus, where he will set his seal upon me by the Holy Spirit, is when I come and I know I'm 100% bankrupt. I have nothing going for me apart from his grace. Nothing. No matter what I've done for the world or how well people speak of me or I think I can congratulate myself. I am absolutely zero and full of darkness. Ugly without God. But he comes. He gives me this sonship, this relationship for us to be his sons and daughters. It comes through thorough confession, a total acknowledgement of his supreme authority over our lives. So when I go shopping, when I plan my vacation, when I have recreation, when I have deliberation with people, when I convene meetings, and when I talk in conversation, private and public, my imagination, Jesus owns it all. And I have to come to that point in order to have a relationship with him. Why? Because he's God. It's not a partnership. A mere partnership. It's a relationship with the maker of heaven and earth. John chapter 6 shows us that we can eat his flesh and drink his blood spiritually. We can become partakers of the divine nature, the essence of God. I've seen many theological journals from all over the world, from Asia, from Europe, in Dutch, in different languages. I don't understand Dutch, but I've seen them before they were translated. Tremendous scholarly works But I always think to myself, the Lord presented the gospel so a little child can understand. If people need that to understand better, people of that kind of intellectual bent, bend, let them. But it's easy to understand. After all, the people that tasted at first were fishermen a number of them and they were even deemed and scorned as being illiterate compared to the scholarly learned Pharisees but they got the truth they received the truth and they decided Lord we left everything to follow you and the Lord says you're going to have hundredfold in this life and the world to come. Eternal life. 
God said he's preparing a mansion for each one of his children. Rooms in his father's house. And when we come together in his presence with his word, it makes us think of heaven. In fact, it brings heaven down to us. We can almost taste it and feel it. The presence of God is our destination. Is our transport. Is our initiation. God is all in all. If we look at this chapter and we think about what we've heard We're in awe of God that he would love us so much to speak to us. As he lovingly spoke to the people, he didn't speak to the people to put them down, to dismiss them. For God so loved the world, he invites everyone, but not everyone will come. And among those who come, some will leave, many will leave, in fact. As you see in the parable of the seed and the sower, some will be on the rocks. With no root. They'll jump up for joy and be very emotionally moved, but they will fall away. The Lord said so. It's going to happen. And some will hear the word and the pressures of life, the things, the phone calls and the bills and all these things will just divert them from spending time with God that's necessary to live in him. He said, whoever feeds on me will have this life. You have to feed on him continually. Come to his presence continually. That God would love us to invite us to take an inventory every day. As a matter of good and joy, just as a person may check his or her tools or equipment, whatever they possess, that's important for their business, their livelihood. How many farmers would be very upset the end of the day of using that machinery on the fields, knowing that the machinery is used to plant and harvest, to bring to the local markets to get the money to feed his family. How many of them would be upset? Oh, I have to check my tools at the end of the day. I have to make sure the tractor's working, it's oiled, it's ready to go tomorrow morning. There's a sense of accomplishment for the day and a sense of Completion in getting those very tools that were useful, ready for the next day. There's an anticipation. There's a joy. For the believer, there's a thankfulness. There's gratitude. God has given me a privilege to work. Adam was given the privilege to work in Eden, the garden. It's a privilege to work, to work for God, and to use our hands 
to do things that are constructive, well-pleasing to God and providing for our families and for others. Let him who steals, steal no more, but work that which is good with his hands that he may have to give to him that doesn't have, says the New Testament. There's a focus on the Lord and other people. And so that inventory is important for us spiritually every day. This is why many people are dying who call themselves believers in sometimes large fellowships. Historical fellowships. No life. Because they've missed John chapter 6. They've missed John chapter 4. In fact, they've missed almost all of the Bible, even though they've heard it all their lives in measure, maybe read some of it. They missed it. The Lord says, come near, get this right before it's too late. And now, if you know him, make sure your heart is clean and your conscience is clear. And if there's problem, if something is defiled, that if we've allowed it to become defiled, even through presumptuous sin, to make sure we never do it again. Ask God for mercy. God will forgive if we're sincere. And those things that come out of our weaknesses, things that we said we'd do before God and we didn't do them, we got distracted. The cares of this life, pleasures of this life, desires for other things. Crowd out the word to sincerely apologize before the Lord because Jesus is the lover of our soul. Our souls. He's the love of our lives. There's no love or life or light apart from God. Period. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights in whom there's no shadow of turning, no variableness, no shadow of turning. So if somebody wants to pursue love, looking for love, they need to go to Jesus and he will provide everything they need in this life and in the life to come. Everything. He would shed his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. If someone is looking for light, they're looking for wisdom, direction, clarity. Jesus is the wisdom of God. If someone is looking, if someone is looking for life, Where's satisfaction? Where is something permanent? Everything is fleeting. Everything is changing. Nothing is stable in this life. We can find that stability. We can find that eternal value, eternal life, in the one who came to give that life. If we take away something from John 6, it should be that we should be wise in our perception and understanding. Ask God to help us to be wise, to know the times and seasons, to know what God is doing in my life, not to miss it. Don't miss the boat. To know that I don't have eternity to get things right. There's a limited time 
for everyone. It's a joy and privilege to jump on that because it's the most important thing to be right with God, to be close to Him, to love Him and to know that we're pleasing to Him, well-pleasing to Him. That everything in our lives, everything is surrendered to Him. That our mortal enemy is sin. And because we love God, we do everything we can to humble ourselves, humble ourselves, humble ourselves. To fight, fight, fight with the help of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. So that no presumptuous sin will be in our lives. Because the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We thank God for His love. We thank God for His life. We thank God for His light. He's our all in all. Praise be to God. Just going to go to John 6 one last time. And the beginning of it, of course, is the miraculous feeding of some 10 to 12,000 people, including the 5,000 men. And it's written that he already knew what he was going to do. But he involved the disciples to see whether they have faith. To see whether they understood that he is with them, just like when he came on the sea or he was in the boat when the storm came. To have that real faith, Jesus, Lord, you're with me, Lord. Why should I fear? After all, you're with me. When fear comes, I'll trust in you. When things are beyond my control, I'll trust in you to remind myself he's with me. Because he's with me, miracles are possible. Miracles don't come out of thin air. They come from a wonder-working God of power and love. And for his children, God holds nothing back. Hallelujah. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly before him. Because the Lord our God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. He who gave his own son, he didn't spare even his own son. He didn't hold that back. Everything he gave, and with him will give us everything. Hallelujah. What child wouldn't love to hear that from a parent? I'm going to give you everything. Everything you need. Hallelujah. That's our Father. He's the same one who wiped away every tear from our eyes. He's so compassionate, so tender-hearted. He's the same one who is concerned when we're tired, when we're sick, when we're suffering. He's there. He's the one who bore the griefs, the illnesses, and carried our sorrows, all our pains. As we read in Isaiah 53. He's the God, if he cares so much and he's so powerful, and he's a God who's true and faithful, he can transform us to be just like him, to walk in the light while we're on this earth. So other people can leave dead religion, come to a living, vital relationship with him, have their names actually inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life, in the Book of Life. No, for sure I'm going to heaven. 
because of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for me. That blood that I'm trusting in. The name of Jesus that I'm trusting in. His death on the cross that's become a payment for all of my burdens, all of my sins, all of my shame and guilt. God put it on him so I can make it to heaven. And he rose from the dead having dealt with all of that through his death. Never to die again. He's the one that says, because I live, you will live also. He that believes in me. Though he die, yet shall he live. And he that lives will never die. Who lives in me. Praise God. In close of this, John 6.20, when they were terrified, he says, don't be afraid. I'm here. Thank you, Lord. Oh, my God. When you're stuck in a hospital, isolated, only the Lord can say truthfully, I'm here. So don't be afraid. When you're stuck somewhere, maybe underneath the car, struggling to live and survive, only Jesus can be there and help us. Nobody else. There are times and seasons when all human help truly fails. We have no access whatsoever. We're caught in a tornado, as it were, with no control, no one to help. God who controls everything is also a God of love. So don't be afraid. I'm here. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you minister to us, Lord. Lord, you open up your manner, Lord. Break it and feed us. Thank you, Jesus. What we need to hear, Lord, strengthen us on our way. Lord, that we may walk worthy of your name, Lord. We may grow in your grace, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all your mercies. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you that you are the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. We thank and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.